Well, good morning, Miles City. How are you guys doing today? Well, good. We've got some people happy to be here. I'm so glad that you're here today. And if this is your first time with us, we certainly appreciate you making us part of your day. And we hope that you are encouraged and challenged by what you hear as we kick off this brand new series on Daniel, Truth and Dare. Man, how exciting it is to be jumping into the book of Daniel. And, um, you know, you see that title and you kind of think about truth and dare and you focus on the dare part. And when we think about dares, uh, how many have ever been dared to do something stupid? All right, most of us, okay. Uh, our staff, we play this game called What are the Odds? And uh, when we go places together, um, we try to get each other to do stupid things. The thing about the game, what are the odds are, not only is the person that gets dared, they might have to do it, but the person that did the daring might have to do it. And so it makes it really interesting. I've seen our staff do a lot of dumb things like jump into Lake Michigan fully clothed and build a snowman in the snow barefoot and all these things. And uh, it's always fun when someone new on staff comes that they don't know what the game is. And uh, so obviously if it's the odds you're trying to pick, the lower the odds, the greater the chance somebody's going to have to do something. So if you ever have Travis ask you what are the odds, say like one in a bazillion, all right? Just, I'm just telling you straight up, okay? Because, uh, but it, you know, when we think of daring a lot of times, I, I got thinking about it in my life, hey, has there been times that I've been dared to do things? And to be honest, I've just done stupid things on my own. I can't think of times that somebody dared me to do something stupid. I just, I'm just dumb, all right? I do it on my own. And maybe you're like that, maybe like, yeah, dares don't affect me. I can be stupid on my own too. But really, when we're thinking about um, what that looks like, um, we think about the fact that a dare really equals a challenge. And as this pops up, this dare equals challenge, you're going to see Espanol up there, Spanish as well. So I want to welcome those that are here with Miles City Espanol. Also, we want to welcome those that are watching online today as well. We're excited about that. But um, you'll see some of our slides as if this is your first time with you say, why are they have uh, Spanish words up there? Because we have folks in here that are listening to the message being translated. And so we're excited to have them with us as well. But when we look at what a dare is, we, really it's just a challenge. It's just a challenge. Dares, yes, they can be used to get us to do things that we shouldn't do. But also dares can be used to motivate us to do something that maybe we should be doing, something maybe that we've been ignoring or dreading or something that we haven't wanted to jump into. Sometimes taking a dare uh, is a challenge for us to grow. And so when we jump into this book over the next several weeks, what we're going to look at is we're going to look at the truths that the book of Daniel contains, and then we're going to challenge ourselves or dare ourselves to take some steps to move towards God. And we're going to look at our life in the light of these truths. And we're going to be encouraged by what it means to live these challenges, to live these dares out. But before uh, we think about that, we want to think about the fact that when I look at a dare, um, sometimes I don't like being dared things because it makes me stand out. It like puts the spotlight on you. It's like all of a sudden everybody's looking at you. It's the idea of being standing out. It's the idea of being different. The idea of being distinct. You know, I was driving down the road the other day and I saw this really nice Cadillac. It was very distinct because it was like this baby blue, bright baby blue color. And I really liked the car, but I didn't like the color. But it really stuck out. When you were driving down the highway, man, it was easy to pick that car out. And some of us, we kind of feel like if we accept this challenge, if we accept this dare, then is this going to make me stand out? It's going to make me distinct. 
But we know that Scripture teaches us that sometimes we need to stand out. Romans 12, 2 says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We, we don't want to just fit in. We don't want to just go with the flow of what the world's doing. We need to stand out. And it's not always comfortable. In fact, sometimes it can put us in some difficult situations. The story we're going to look at today put Daniel in a very uncomfortable position. But we know that God has called us to be distinct. And so today we're going to look at Daniel chapter number one and you're going to see the story that Daniel stood up. He was distinct in his character. But before we jump into it, let's just take a moment and pray today. Heavenly Father, we thank you today that you love us. We thank you that you care about us. And we are grateful for this opportunity to open Scripture. Lord, to have you speak through your Holy Spirit to our hearts through what Scripture has to say. We ask that you would remove the distractions from our minds, from our hearts, that we would be able to hear clearly what Scripture is trying to teach us, what the Holy Spirit is trying to say to us. God, I ask that you would use me today, that I would say the words that you would have me to say, that it would bring honor to you. Lord, we thank you for the love that you show us, for the salvation that you give us so freely, for your death and resurrection. Lord, we just um, come to you today. Lord, just grateful for your grace and your mercy. God, I ask over the next few minutes that what is done will bring honor to your name and we'll give you the thanks for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So today we're going to be in Daniel chapter 1, and I, I want to give you just a quick history lesson on the first seven verses. So Daniel was from uh, the nation of Judah. The nation of Judah came out of the nation of Israel. So if you're familiar at all with the Old Testament, you know that God's chosen people, they come out of Egypt, they become a nation, the nation of Israel. There's 12 tribes. Uh, they become a great nation. They're led by prophets, by priests. And then they decide that they want a king. And so God allows them to elect a king. They have a couple kings, but then civil war breaks out. When the civil war broke out, they split into two separate nations. The ten northern tribes stayed the nation of Israel. The two southern tribes, Judah and Benjamin, became the nation of Judah. It was like this slow creep away from what God had called them to do and following after God and pursuing God. And it seemed like it was accelerated with the nation of Israel because they didn't have any kings that wanted to follow after God. Their kings were all about themselves, and so they began to creep away. So God sent prophets to warn them, like, hey, if this continues to happen, then my blessing is going to be removed from you. And it wasn't a short notice. For 300 years, God warned them. And finally, the nation of Israel was invaded by Assyria and they were no longer a nation. Judah, on the other hand, had some kings once in a while that wanted to pursue God, that wanted the nation to follow after God. And so God's blessing on them stayed a little bit longer. They followed after him, then another king would come in and they'd build false idols and all this stuff. But they lasted another 200 years. And finally, even the Old Testament books that you read with all the guys' names, Daniel, Hezekiah, Malachi, all those guys, Isaiah, they were, Jeremiah, they were prophets to these nations. They were trying to warn them. And so Daniel comes out of Judah after it's been invaded by Nebuchadnezzar. 
And so you say, why, why is it so important to know that? Why, why do we need to know that? Well, when we look at Daniel's life, it seems like some of the circumstances surrounding him seemed pretty risky. If you read the book, the first couple of chapters of Daniel, it looks like there was some intense things going on, and they were intense. But yet we see the character of Daniel, and we see what made him distinct in his choices. And so let's take a look at Daniel chapter 1. Let's start in verse number 8 today, all right? Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. This first part right here says that Daniel resolved. There's other versions of Scripture that say that he determined. I like the King James Version where it says Daniel purposed in his heart. He made up his mind that he was committed to this idea that he wasn't going to change. It didn't matter what came along, it wasn't going to happen. It's unfortunate that when we think of resolutions or resolves, so many times we think of New Year's resolutions. And let's be honest, New Year's resolutions for most of us don't last very long. So it wasn't this kind of resolution. This was something different. This was something he was determined not to go against God's law. We, we think about this food. You say, well, it must, it must have been easy. No, this was the finest food that was out there. This wasn't some nasty food that he didn't like. It wasn't turning down something that was like, ah, I don't really like that. I, I am from Tennessee. We lived in Tennessee for 17 years before moving to Michigan. And there's not a lot of Mediterranean food down south. So I moved to Michigan and everybody's like, hey, you got to try shawarma. Okay. I have to be honest. I don't like shawarma. Okay. That's fine. When we get to heaven and we're not eating it, you'll be like, Barry was right. All right. Now, here, I'm joking, okay, because I know that it's, it's the taste. There's something about chicken shawarma that I just don't like. Somebody talked to me earlier about, hey, there's steak shawarma. I'm willing to try a steak shawarma. But please, don't try to get me to try chicken shawarma. Well, you haven't had it from this place yet. You're right, and I'm not going to. Okay, all of us have those kind of foods that we just don't like. I have a son that won't eat eggs. He's like turning 19 this month and he still won't touch an egg. And it's like, dude, you eat stuff with eggs in it all the time, but he will not eat eggs by themselves. There's things that we don't like. This wasn't what Daniel was facing like, oh, it's, I don't like that. That's no good. This was the finest. This was steak and wine. This was like good stuff. This wasn't something that was, you know, roadkill that they brought in. This was the king's palace. They were training him to be something special. And so they were going to feed him good. And yet he had determined that this was not something that he was going to do. Here he is, this kid. Most scholars believe at the oldest he was 17, which is interesting to me. This isn't really part of the talk today, but it's interesting that at 17 years old, Daniel was firm in his conviction on what he believed. Where did that come from? I think it came from his parents. I think his parents had trained him up in the way that he should go. I think his parents poured into him. Even though the nation of Judah had turned their back on God, his parents still followed the one true God and wanted to serve him with their life and trained their son from when he was born to now he's taken from his parents, he's separated in a foreign country, and he's willing to stand for God. See, what was interesting was his resolve was distinct. His resolve was distinct. It challenged me as a parent. I wondered what would happen if my kids were taken away from me. 
They understand, hey, this is what we believe and this is why we believe it. We stand on the truth of God's word. We stand on the truth of scripture and this is what's important in life. That's why I think as parents we need to take this duty of raising our kids and the nurture and admonition of the Lord is so important. That's why you should have them at church. That's why if they're students, they should be involved in our drive ministry. That's why you should have time as family devotions where you sit down and you open scripture and you read it together and you pray together so that your kids understand this is what we stand for and this is why. I'm afraid so many of our kids in America today, if they were taken away from us, would know how to teach somebody how to play a sport, but they wouldn't know how to take a stand for God. Our priorities sometimes get out of whack. But Daniel's resolve was distinct. He's like, I've determined that this is what I'm going to do. Regardless of what is going on around me, this is the truth that I'm going to stand upon. It begs the question, do our circumstances determine our resolve? So many times... It depends on the situation that we're in on what our resolve is. Something as simple as if I'm going to eat a donut or not that's set in front of me when I'm trying to cut out sugar. How strong is my resolve? It's easy to have resolve when there's no food around that I'm going to eat healthy. But then when given the problem of, hey, here's some unhealthy food. Maybe you work in the business world and maybe your boss isn't someone that follows after Christ. And maybe their morals aren't where they should be. And sometimes your resolve has to be strong in spite of the circumstances that you're going to do what's right. You students that go to school every day and you try to follow Christ and walk with Jesus on your, in your school, sometimes you have to determine, are my circumstances going to determine my resolve or is my resolve already determined in spite of my circumstances? So many times those around you will tempt you or try to get you to say or do things that you shouldn't and you have to understand that, hey, I'm going to do right because my resolve is determined before the circumstances come along. Daniel goes on in chapter 1 and verse number 8, he says this, Therefore he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, he said this, I fear my lord the king, who assigned your food and your drink. For why should he see that you were in worse condition than the youths who are of your own age? So you would endanger my head with the king. Now it's one thing to have resolve. To be distinct in your resolve. To be different in your resolve. To stand for something. But practically speaking, what does that look like? Well, for Daniel, when he went and talked to the chief, basically he just has a conversation with him. How refreshing is this? The reason Daniel had a problem eating this food was it was offered to idols, to the Babylonian gods. The reason he had a problem with that was this was why Judah got invaded because they had turned their back on God and were serving false idols. So he couldn't participate in his mind in idol worship. So Daniel wants nothing to do with that. But he doesn't go to the chief of eunuch and make demands. He doesn't cause trouble, let's be honest, he could have had a holier-than-thou attitude. Well, you don't understand. I serve the one true God, and you're trying to get me to eat meat that's been sacrificed to your false gods. I just can't do that. It's not what he said. He could have started a hunger strike and said, hey, I refuse to eat what you're offering me. He could have gone to the others taken into slavery and said, listen, 
We're going to revolt against this. We're going to make this guy's life miserable because he's trying to get us to eat this stuff that we know has been offered to false gods. Why? Because we're right. Was Daniel right in what he believed? Of course he was. But instead, he shows respect to this man's office and he approaches him in humility. Daniel was not only distinct in his resolve, but he was also distinct in his attitude. His attitude was that he wasn't going to compromise, but he still approached the person with humility and respect. Makes us ask this question, are we fighting for the right things the wrong way? So many of us, we're willing to take a stand on truth, but the humility and respect goes out the window. Some of us think that's a sign of weakness if we're humble and respectful to other people and what they believe. God's called us to stand on the truth, but he also said that we need to be loving in the way that we do it. So many times the words that come out of our mouth have a lot less to do with love and a lot more to do with hate. We should never compromise on the truth. Daniel was never compromising on what he believed, but his attitude, the way that he treated this eunuch, made this eunuch want to listen to him. Like, I think some rapport has already been established in the fact that this chief eunuch didn't say, listen, you'll eat this or we'll cut your head off. And the eunuch kind of knew who he was working for in that, in that passage. He said, listen, you're putting me in a bad spot with my boss. So who was his boss? King Nebuchadnezzar. You say, well, who was King Nebuchadnezzar? This is who King Nebuchadnezzar was. Look at 2 Kings 25. It says, they captured the king, King Zedekiah, all right, that's the king of Judah, and brought him up to the king of Babylon. King of Babylon, that's Nebuchadnezzar, at Riblah. And they passed sentence on him. They slaughtered the sons of Zedekiah before his eyes and put out the eyes of Zedekiah and bound him in chains and took him to Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar was a type of guy, you ever watch a movie that says, we're going to kill your family, that's going to be the last thing you see. We're going to tie you all up and we're going to kill everybody in your family and then we're going to kill you. Where did that come from? Right here in 2 Kings. Nebuchadnezzar says, hey, I'm going to gather up all your sons and I'm going to kill them all in front of you. And then that's going to be the last thing you're going to see because I'm going to gouge your eyes out. So the eunuch, chief of the eunuchs is not going like, you know, I have a very understanding boss. And, you know, he's real easygoing and he likes to be challenged on what he wants done. And I'm just going to go to him and I'm going to say, hey, listen, some of these guys don't want to eat this food because they think our idols are false. And so they're just not going to do that. Is everything all right? And yet, he was willing to listen to Daniel and have a conversation to him because Daniel's attitude was distinct. Are we saying the right things, but are we saying them the wrong way? Daniel continues, the story continues in, in verse number 12. It says this, he says, Daniel says to him, test your servants for 10 days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you. And deal with your servants according to what you see. It goes on to say in verse 14. So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for 10 days. At the end of 10 days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. So the steward took away their food and the wine that they were to drink and gave them vegetables. Daniel comes back and he says, listen, I want you to test. 
test us. Let's just do a, a small experiment for 10 days. Daniel attitude again, he takes the chief concerns, he listens to them, and he comes up with something that works for both of them. But what we really see right here is that not only was Daniel distinct in his resolve and his attitude, but he was also distinct in his faith. He's distinct in his faith. So I, I see what you're saying here, but I know what God's called me to. I know how this is going to work out. So let's do a test. So let's test it out. Daniel believed that God was going to take care of the results. And you say, what's the big deal? This was a life or death situation for Daniel. This wasn't like, ah, you know. He's in a foreign country. He's been set up in a way that most of us would say he probably was living a better life now than he was in Judah. Judah was on the run. They were scared. The nation was being invaded. Now he's in the king's courtyard, the king's palace. He's one of the chosen that the king has said, listen, I'm going to pour into you, and you guys are going to help run my kingdom. They saw things in Daniel. They saw abilities in him, and they wanted him to have the best. And so more than likely, his life was better. And so most of us, if we were looking at this situation, would say, Daniel, just go with the flow. Why rock the boat? But Daniel was distinct in his faith. He said, listen, let's test this out because I know and I trust God with the result. Makes us ask the question, does our faith in God outweigh our fears? Daniel was fighting for his life. You say, it's only over food, I know, but we already saw the kind of guy that Nebuchadnezzar was. You know, uh, as, a, as a preacher, it's easy for me to stand up and tell people you need to have faith. It's very, it's very easy to do that. And one of the parts of my job is during the week I meet with people all week long. And usually people are coming to talk to you when things aren't going well in their life. And so you're like, hey, you just got to believe God's going to take care of this. It's real easy to say. I'm just going to be honest. It can flow off your lips pretty easy when it's somebody else's situation. When it becomes your own situation, not so much fun, huh? This week has been a rough week for my family. My son Liam today is in the hospital. He had his, his appendix ruptured the other day, and so he had his appendix out. And so he's in the hospital. He's doing all right. But for his mama, that's a hard thing when you're, because he's the baby, even though he's 14 and six foot almost. It's, he's still the baby, all right? When you see him suffering and you don't know what to do. And finally they figured out, oh, this is his appendix. And then we got to watch him suffer some more until they could get him into surgery. Then to top that off, one of our dogs we thought was dying this week too. Now, I love dogs, I do, but I have a limit on how much I'm going to spend on a dog to keep it alive. Okay? And if you're a dog lover and would spend any amount, some lady told me she had a friend that spent $60,000 to keep her dog alive. God bless that lady. I don't even think my wife would spend $60,000 to keep me alive at this point, all right? But I love dogs, so I don't, and you know, you guys know how I feel about cats if this is your first time with me. I wouldn't spend any money just to save a cat, okay? So now you know where I stand on that. 
But for my wife, it's this emotional roller coaster because she knows I have this limit in my head like, okay, this dog's already been ripped up by another dog when I was young. We had to spend several hundred dollars to get it sewn up. I'm like, that's its limit. Next time it's like, how much does it cost to put it down? And the dog's getting older. And so my wife has all these emotions because our son's in the hospital and we're at the vet trying to figure out this dumb dog. And then to top all that off, there's been something else going on in our life that we've really been praying about. Some things that we felt like God was leading us in a direction and then this year the brakes were put on that and we're like, what is going on here? What, what, what is God trying to teach us? Because it was, it, was it was a big enough problem it was keeping us awake at night. I'm like, well, this is not good. And so I want to tell you, I understand that when I put that phrase up there, does our faith in God outweigh our fears, that's real easy to read and real easy to tell other people and it's hard to live out in our life. But we have to make a decision. Faith is believing what we can't see. And if I really say that I believe God, then he needs to outweigh my fears. And I can honestly say that I've had to live that out this week and it's not easy, it's hard. Thankfully, my son's okay. I was thankful that we live in a modern day and time where we have doctors that can do this kind of stuff and understand and take care of them. My dog is still alive. Okay? And this other situation, two days ago, we got notification that it had worked itself out. There were some things that we did besides praying about that we took some steps, and God worked that out for us. And so it was kind of like God, as I was looking at this message and preparing it, it was like, this is the point that really got to me. I was like, I don't know if I want to talk about this. And it was like God showing up and saying, hey, listen, I've got you. I'm still in control. And who knows, my dog might die this week. And if he does, God's still in control. Thankfully, my son's not going to die. He's good, all right? He's doing good. He's going to be all right. But sometimes it's hard to let our faith outweigh our fear. But can I encourage you when you do that, God can do incredible things in our life. Look what happens with Daniel. Look at verse number 17. And for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill and all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. And at the end of the time when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. It goes on to say this. The king spoke with them, and among all of them none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Therefore they stood before the king. And verse 20 says this. And in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all his kingdom. It's interesting. I really did just notice this in first service. It says ten times better. And the test was give us ten days to eat these vegetables and drink this water. God says, listen, Daniel, if you're going to be distinct, if you're going to stand out, if you're going to be different, I'm going to take care of you. When we think about this, it's not easy. We don't just wake up one day and decide that, hey, I want to be a person of character. I want to be distinct. It happens over time by the compound interest of our choices. Ralph Waldo Emerson put it this way. He said, sow a thought and you reap an action. 
Sow an act and you reap a habit. Sow a habit and you reap a character. Sow a character and you reap a destiny. Our dare today is that we would be distinct as followers of Christ. I dare you to be distinct. How do we do that? It starts with our choices. Are we resolved to follow him in spite of our circumstances? Are we willing to approach others with humility and respect in the attitudes that we treat them with? Are we really willing to let him lead our life and trust that he'll lead us in the exact direction that he has for us? Are we willing to have faith over our fears? God's called us to be distinct. God's called us to stand out, to go against the tide. When we look at Daniel and we think of these three things, these are things that we should be doing. These are things that we can do. We can have resolve. We can work on our attitude. We can increase our faith and put our faith in God. Why is it so important to be distinct? Well, we serve a God that is distinct. See, these are all things that we can do. But God, in his love for us, in standing out and being different, he said, listen, I love you so much, I'm going to send my son to die for you. So Jesus was willing to do for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. Oh, these are things that we can work on in our life, but these are choices that we make. But to be honest, if we haven't made that first choice to trust Jesus with our life, to make him the Lord and Savior, then these things really... They're nice things to do, but they're not really going to help you that much. Because of what God was willing to, be, to do, because God is a distinct God. He stood out and he said, listen, I love you so much. I'm going to send my son to pay for your sin, the sin that separates us from God. Choices that we make contrary to will. He said, listen, that has to be paid for, but my son will pay for it for you. And Jesus Christ died on that cross for our sins, but three days later he rose again. And he did that because he loves us. And the greatest, most important choice that you could ever make in your life is to put your faith and trust in Christ. It's not to believe in Jesus. That's a nice thing, but there's a lot of people that believe in Jesus that don't know him as their Lord and Savior. It's not to go to church. Going to church is a good thing. It's not just reading your Bible, although reading your Bible, reading Scripture is a good thing. All those things are good things, but they're not what pays for our sin. The death of Jesus on the cross is what paid that. And he, he gives us the choice. So today, if that's the choice that you need to make, if that's the choice that you want to make, I'm going to ask us all just to bow our head in an attitude of prayer. And if you say, Barry, that is the choice that I need to make today. I want to make Jesus the Lord and Savior of my life. Then say something like this to him. Say, Jesus, I confess my sins to you. And Jesus, I believe that you are God. And I want to thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. I want to thank you for rising from the dead three days later. Today, I lower my pride. And the best I know how, I put my faith and trust in you. And only you. In Jesus' name. Lord Jesus, we pray for those that 
have made that decision today to make you the Lord and Savior of their life. God, I just ask that even right now, your Holy Spirit would encourage them. Would bring a calmness and a peace to their heart, to their life, Lord, that they don't understand. The scripture tells us that you give a peace that's beyond all understanding. God, I ask that you would draw them to yourself, that they would understand that this is the greatest choice that they've ever made because you are a distinct God and you were willing to stand up and pay the price for us. God, for those of us that know you, I ask that we would be encouraged to follow you with our lives, that we would be distinct in our resolve and our attitude and our faith. That there would be something different when people look at us that would draw them to you. Lord, we want to live this life so that we can point people to you. And I ask that we would be resolved, that we would be distinct in our walk with you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now today, if you made that decision to make Jesus Christ the Lord and Savior of your life, we would love to celebrate that with you. And so there's a couple ways that you could let us know. And the reason that we want to know about it is, number one, we want to celebrate with you. And we believe that moving together is better. So we'll pray with you. We'll answer any questions that you might have. But if you would do me a favor, if you would text the word Mile City to 94,000, you can follow the prompts on that. For the rest of us that are followers of Christ, you know, I have to be honest with you. The reason we're doing this series is hopefully it'll make us a little uncomfortable. When you're dared or challenged to do something, it's not a challenge if you're already doing it. And so I hope that when you see the truth of God's word, you see the truth of scripture, that you'll be dared or challenged to make changes.